There are more bacteria than the entire human population. There are 38 trillion microbes living in, on, and around you that are critical to your health. This is your microbiome. This non-human part of you helps you with daily functions like digestion, supporting your gut-brain axis, and can even affect your complexion. Good news is you can take care of those 38 trillion microbes, and they'll take care of you. So how can we love those little microbes? A probiotic, but the problem with most probiotics is they don't survive the trip through the gut. This is why Zaddy uses Seed. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is nested in a capsule in a capsule delivery technology to ensure precision entry through the small intestine to your colon. What does that mean? More satisfying, easy, and beautiful bowel movements so you can leave the toilet feeling like a lighter and lovelier human being. I've been taking seed for over a year now, and I chose seed because it contains both prebiotics and probiotics. Cara and Tracy are on the seed train too, and they're loving it. And seed supports benefits in and beyond the gut, including gastrointestinal GI function, skin health, heart health, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, and micronutrient synthesis of vitamins B9 and B12. Some people report feeling improvements in just 24 to 48 hours. So, Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com forward slash zaddy and use code zaddy to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. That's seed.com forward slash zaddy. Use code zaddy. All right. We got Ben Singh in the house uh, today in the zaddy zone. Ben, are you a doctor? Should I call you Dr. Ben Singh? Uh, just Ben's fine, but I do have a uh, PhD. But yeah, I sort of—I don't think I've gotten used to being called doctor. So, yeah, yeah. But w- when you spend as long as you have at a university, you should call yourself doctor, mate. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been a long time, but I think the time just flies because you're working so hard and you're studying so much that uh, you don't realize how long you spent at uni. So, um, yeah. yeah, but it's always nice, particularly when you're hopping onto planes and they refer to you as doctor. So that's always good. Yeah. That's probably the best part, actually. Yeah, yeah, it puts a little pep in your step. My dad was a reverend. My dad's a minister. So, okay. and, and my mum would always, whenever people would call him Reverend David Cook, my mum would be like, no, 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 no. He's not. I'm like, he is, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you worked hard for it, then you deserve to be called whatever you want. Abs- absolutely. Mate, could you just introduce yourself? Tell us, uh, Tell us who you are and exactly what you do. Yeah, so I'm a research fellow at the University of South Australia, so here in Adelaide. And I do research around the benefits of physical activity and exercise and looking at both the physical benefits, but also uh, a growing interest in the mental benefits of exercise. So how keeping active and how different types of exercise can improve mood and symptoms of depression and anxiety and how it can also prevent uh, various conditions. So sort of prevent the onset of longer-term chronic conditions such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So just general broad research around all the different benefits of being active. Love it. Yeah, no, mate, I came, I I saw a clip with Joe Rogan and and, uh, Russell Brand talking about the importance of exercise, and then they brought up, whilst they were talking, your 
your study and we're talking about your work. And so yeah. I was like, well, I have to go and look at this study. I'm not going to repost this not knowing what the study is. Yeah. And I went and I looked at looked at this paper of yours. Could you I mean it's kind of kind of shone a light on your work a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, having a big Joe Rogan and Russell Brand yeah. talking about your work, it must have felt good. Yeah, it felt good. It was a bit unexpected as well. And I sort of had no idea about it until I sort of saw it on Twitter as well. So someone tagged mm-hmm. me in it uh, about two weeks after it had been published. So, yeah. But, um, wow. yeah, it's always neat to have your research uh, out there and shown to a lot of people because I guess we spend a lot of time doing this important research and we don't want to just publish the findings and have only a handful of people reading it. Uh, We want our research to get out there to as many people as possible. And we want it to be accessible as well. We want to make sure that when we present our research, that it's not highly scientific and it's not using all this technical jargon. Uh, We want to make sure people from uh, the general population and just the everyday listener or the everyday reader can sort of uh, read it and sort um, sort of gain something from the research that you've done. Yeah, and I appreciate that because I am one of those average readers, and sometimes it's hard to decipher. And you're almost like, so do I need a do I need to be a scientist or have a scientist read something so I can I can understand it? It's really appreciated when, and I speak for the average layman here, when we can understand what the hell you're talking about. When you publish papers and and people go, oh, where's your science? Or do you understand the science behind this? And it's like, I'd like to, yeah. I'd really like to be able yeah. to look it up and understand it. So it's appreciated when it's put in a way that a layman can understand. But would you mind just telling us about the paper that was talked about on Joe Rogan? Yeah, definitely. So we sort of noticed, particularly uh, as a result of the pandemic and in the sort of couple of years after the pandemic, that there's been increases worldwide in the number of people experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety. And so we've known for a long time that different types of exercise and physical activity is beneficial. So basically what we wanted to do is try to summarise all the evidence that's out there that's been published on the benefits of exercise for improving mental health. So we did a review article where we reviewed all the existing literature that's out there. And after we sort of searched the uh, databases, did a big search, we found that there was there was about 97 review papers that were included. Uh, so we looked at 97 systematic reviews, and they comprised of over a 1,000 individual studies and over 120,000 participants. And when we evaluated and tried to summarise the evidence, what we found was that basically any type of physical activity and any type of exercise was beneficial for improving depression, anxiety, and distress. And so there was a wide range of different exercises that were evaluated. So most commonly, it involved walking, Uh, But there was lifting weights, so resistance exercise. Yoga uh, was shown to be highly beneficial. Um, Cycling and just basically any exercise in between. Um, And I think that's important because it really highlights that there's not one type of exercise that's beneficial for everyone. It's about finding the exercise that uh, you enjoy or that's most accessible for you. And just by doing that exercise, it can um, lead to significant improvements in mental health symptoms. Yeah. And as well as that, anything that you can stick to, like anything you can be consistent with, you don't have to go and work out like somebody else. Taking a walk is as, is as easy as it is. And you don't have to go like, despite all the meatheads you might follow online, you don't have to go and lift weights. Yeah, definitely. And we know that enjoyment is important when it comes to 
following an exercise program for a long term and adhering to that program. So we know that if people start programs that they of types of exercise that they don't enjoy, often after a few weeks they'll stop doing it and they'll drop out. Whereas if you can find an exercise that you enjoy doing that's convenient and accessible for you, then that will really help you enjoy the exercise. You'll be able to benefit for it from it. And you'll also be able to continue that exercise for a long period of time and experience all those long-term benefits. And as you said, just because there's people online doing a certain type of exercise, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll be beneficial for you or you'll enjoy it. It's about just going out Mm. there, exploring different types of exercise and finding what works for you. So there's really no real right or wrong. It's just um, we really need to take that individual approach. Yeah. Um, now, just your, your paper is you said as as big as it is, one hundred and twenty thousand people was it? That that can yeah. you just clarify for me? That's a large group of people. Like as far as scientific studies go, that's a large group of people. Yeah. So it was one hundred and twenty thousand uh, people worldwide. And what was important is they involved a range of different populations. So a lot of the people in those study in that we reviewed in those studies, they were diagnosed with depression or anxiety. But there were a lot of studies that involved healthy adults. And even among those healthy adults, we saw improvements in symptoms of depression and anxiety. So these are people that Mm -hmm. don't have a diagnosis of a mental health condition. But I think we've all experienced throughout just a typical week, there might be periods where we're feeling a bit anxious or certain life events might cause periods where we're feeling a little bit depressed. And even those individuals who don't have a diagnosis, who are considered otherwise healthy, exercise does have quite significant mental health benefits. So um, it can help improve mood and it can help prevent the onset of depression and anxiety in the future as well. So that's quite an important finding that so you don't necessarily need to be diagnosed with a mental health condition to experience the mental benefits of exercise. Anyone can benefit from it. Yeah. So kind of like I, you know, I guess what you're talking about is even if you're not clinically depressed, you haven't been diagnosed, but if you have off days, if you're having a bad day, it's kind of leveling out your, leveling out your baseline, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. And I think, I mean, we've all experienced days where uh, we might be uh, extremely stressed because of work or um, other commitments. Uh, We've got a lot of things Mm -hmm. on, we've got Um, certain things that we need to do. So we might have periods where we're quite anxious or stressed. I know personally, they're the times when exercise can be difficult to fit into your schedule when you're extremely busy and you're extremely stressed. But they're also the times where we're probably most in need of sort of getting out, uh, doing 20 or 30 minutes of exercise. Because I'm sure we've all experienced that period where after we've done a good workout, maybe we've gone for a run or we've lifted some weights or just gone out for a hike, that period after, you do have that boost in mood. You do have that those sensations where you're just feeling a lot better. So, yeah, definitely sort of a wide range of benefits and anyone can sort of benefit from exercise. Yeah, I'd like you to go into that right there about what is it exactly about exercise that makes it so incredible for our mood and our brain and our, you know, is it... Is it pheromones or what's it endorphins and things like that? I don't understand that at all. Could you enlighten me on that? Yeah, so the, the um, sort of physiology behind it is less so my research area, but there are there is a lot of research to show that it does release hormones in the brain that can help that can co- cause positive changes in improving mood and relieving those mm. symptoms. And a lot of the longer term uh, changes that occur in the brain are there's less known about it. 
And mm. another thing that sort of interesting finding that came about from our paper was that overall we found that any type of exercise was beneficial, but there were specific effects for certain types of exercise for anxiety and depression. So although we found any type of exercise was beneficial, when we looked at the uh, findings in a bit more detail, what we found was that resistance exercise, so lifting weights, tends to be the most mm. beneficial specifically for depression, whereas yoga and Pilates tends to be the most beneficial for anxiety. And so that's important because it does highlight that there might be some specific um, mechanisms for different types of exercise. So, for example, yoga, for people who are experiencing anxiety or they might be prone to having panic attacks, uh, we know that sort of yoga provides that sort of meditation and that calming effect. It helps to regulate breathing. And they're all factors that might seem to be more beneficial when it comes to specifically looking at anxiety. So, yeah. again, I think the take-home is just because the evidence does suggest that certain types might be better for certain conditions, again, it's about just trying the different types of exercise and finding what you enjoy. Yes, and I, I just want to say again, I, I just think – I you know I've been exercising for years yeah. and there's nothing like consistency. You know, people who come back and come back again and come back again and don't stop and don't oh, don't fad diet or fad exercise. They're not like I'm going to get to give it 2 months and see what can happen. It's like make it integrate it into your life and one of the best ways you can do that with consistency is make it enjoyable for yourself so that you don't feel like you're doing a chore. I mean, sometimes it has to be a bit of a chore. Sometimes you don't want to go to the gym or go to exercise. But making it as enjoyable for yourself as possible so that you can do it as consistently as possible, I think is really important. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. The consistency, I think when people start an exercise program, that's the most difficult. But once you've sort of done it for a few weeks, you've built habits around it um, and you can fit it into your routine, that's when you'll find it's a lot more easier to sort of consistently do it. And I think it brings up another important point is particularly for people who exercise regularly and are quite experienced and are used to doing sort of uh, high intensity and take their training seriously, often they think that exercise has to be all or nothing. So if they're used to going for or they're, they go for a 30-minute run every day at a certain intensity, if they're particularly busy on a certain day and they can't get their 30 minutes in, they might feel like, oh, if I can't get my whole workout in, then it's not. there's no point. But the evidence suggests that even on those days where you can't fit in your full workout, just getting out for a sort of five or a 10-minute run, just doing a little uh, is still beneficial. So it's definitely not a case of all or nothing. I think that's very common amongst sort of competitive athletes who are used to training at a high intensity. They think that every workout has to be this uh, high or vigorous intensity. And if they can't train at that intensity, then there's no point. So I think that's an important fact that even on those days where you might be lacking a bit of motivation or you're feeling a bit fatigued or maybe you've got a busy schedule and you can only fit in a 15-minute workout, then doing that is always better than doing nothing. Yeah, and I, what's the mechanism that that works by? I mean, are you talking mentally in the, in the, in the context of mental health? Yeah, so for mental health, so even just a sort of short bout of exercise, um, sort of just getting in, uh, doing maybe a few sets of squats or a short run. Uh, afterwards, you mm -hmm. still will have that mental benefit where you've got that boost in mood, but also it will help to sort of maintain your sort of current fitness level. So it's sort of better than doing nothing. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's underrated when you have five minutes to just go and do some squats, to mm -hmm. do some light lifting, go for a light jog, and then maybe you'll have five minutes later in the day and then you can go and do it again. 
you know, actually separating your sets, like even doing a set of deadlifts, leaving it, going and taking a call, going, doing something else for 15 minutes, coming back and doing another set and doing another set and actually putting it throughout your day. Isn't it, isn't it, it's still a great way to exercise. You don't have to get it done all at once. No, definitely. So just breaking it up into sort of smaller bouts throughout the day is just a nice yeah. way to make it a bit more manageable as well. And often people find, so I know personally, if I feel a bit lazy and I know I'm going to skip a workout, then for me, sometimes it can be a slippery slope. So if I don't do exercise on a particular day for whatever reason, then the next day um, I might be like, oh, I didn't exercise yesterday. I might skip today as well. And then mm. sort of one skip workout all of a sudden can be can turn into sort of one or two weeks of without any exercise. So I think just trying to fit in a little bit a day just helps keep it in your routine and helps sort of keep that habit around doing a bit of exercise every day is important. Yeah. And then what about minimum dosage? Uh, is it dependent on the person? You mentioned Olympians. If they're like, if they can't work at that out of their usual intensity, then they won't work out at all. But is there, a, is there a minimum dose for what a person can do in order to keep their mental health intact and and mental health, you know, and, and well-being good? Yeah. No, <laughs> is a there good, a minimum amount? It's a good question. And we did look at that in the uh, study. And what we found was the optimal amount is about 30 minutes a day. So, again, it doesn't necessarily need to be at a high intensity, but if people can just aim for about 30 minutes of exercise a day, then that seems to lead to the optimal benefits when it comes to uh, helping improve symptoms of depression and anxiety. And um, so I think that's an important finding because a lot of people think that they have to do more to benefit. So they think, oh, so if 30 minutes is beneficial, then if I do 60 minutes, then that might lead to twice as much benefits in my mood or my mental health symptoms. But what the evidence tends to suggest is that those higher amounts can often become unmanageable for a lot of people. So particularly if someone's busy, then fitting in 60 minutes might be difficult for them. So just 30 minutes is a nice sort of manageable amount. And the evidence suggests that doing sort of excessive um, doesn't lead or more than 30 minutes a day doesn't necessarily lead to greater benefits in mental health symptoms. Um, so I think that, again, was an important finding because I think it's a good message for uh, a lot of people who, particularly those who aren't active uh, and they're looking to start exercising or they don't have any previous history of exercise, then just starting off with sort of that 30-minute amount uh, is a nice achievable goal. And it's something that I think a lot of people, even those people who are extremely busy, uh, tends to be a a manageable amount that they can easily fit into their routine. Yeah. And it's sustainable. Like an hour having to go out and run for an hour, like that would depress, <laughs> that yeah. would depress me. Yeah. Whereas half an hour is a manageable, like sustainable thing. It's a sustainable effort. A half an hour walk versus a one hour walk is a really sustainable idea. Yeah, definitely. And so speaking of in, uh, duration or how much we should be doing each day, we did also look at the intensity of exercise and again, so we found that basically any intensity, so light, moderate and vigorous intensity exercise, they were all beneficial, but there does tend to be greater benefits in depression and anxiety with higher intensity exercise. So again, I think that's an important finding because if someone's um, going for a 30-minute walk each day, then perhaps trying to, we know it's important to try to progress the exercise and gradually do a little bit more each day. So if you can only fit in 30 minutes a day and you're doing a 30-minute walk, then perhaps trying to increase that intensity, so maybe trying to build up to a slow jog, can lead to greater mental health benefits. But again, it sort of comes down to the individual. So 
Um, I know similar to what you just sort of said, if I was told I have to go for a 30 minute run each day, I think that would lead, that would probably cause me to feel depressed. Whereas if someone told me, oh, a 30 minute walk, um, then that's sort of something I could manage a bit more, a bit better, particularly for people who might not have a history of exercise. So yeah, the evidence suggests that higher intensities tends to lead to greater benefits. But again, mm. we don't want to lose fact that if all someone enjoys just walking or going for a hike, then that's perfect. Yeah, interesting. Have you are you familiar with rehit? It's not hit, it's rehit. It's no. a way of exercising. It's it's quick sprints. So for instance, I have a bike just over there. Yeah. It's called a Carol bike. Okay. It's a five minute workout with two 20 second sprints on a bike. Yep. So just all and out. The e- all out for 20 seconds to within the five minutes. Yeah. And the evidence is suggesting that it's as beneficial as a 30 minute run. A 30 minute run was shown to be really beneficial too, but the two 20 second sprints, they found to be slightly more beneficial than a 30 minute jog. What do you think about that? Like the idea of sprinting, for instance? Yeah, there was a lot of convincing evidence to show that those really short all out bursts of exercise are extremely beneficial. And like you said, it's just five minutes a day. Anyone can fit in five minutes into their routine. And it comes down to the individual. So if it's something you enjoy, if it's something you feel that you benefit from physically and emotionally, and it's something you enjoy doing, then definitely go for it. There's, Like I said, often there's no real right or wrong. It's finding out what you enjoy, what works for you. And the more that you can make it sort of fit into your daily routine, the sort of better it is. Yeah. So what do you think it is about exercise that makes it better for your brain? Like, is there a blood flow element that our brains are better uh, equipped to deal with the world when they're receiving more blood? That's just my guess as a layman, but is that my right? Am I on the right track? Yeah. So again, it's sort of a bit beyond or sort of beyond my sort of research is looking at the physiology, but we do know that during exercise that there is increased blood flow uh, to uh, a lot of parts of the body. And Again, looking at the different sort of mechanisms as to why it might be beneficial. So one of the things that came up uh, in our review was the social aspect of exercise. So we found that uh, a lot of the studies involved group-based exercise, particularly resistance exercise. So people were participating in a group-based, either a group-based yoga class or a group-based resistance exercise. Those group-based exercise sessions tended to have quite large benefits when it came to uh, mental health symptoms. So There's that social uh, component where you're exercising with others in a sort of shared uh, environment. There's also that shared sense of identity and that sense of accomplishment that you get as well when you exercise. So if you set yourself a goal of exercising for uh, 10 minutes a day and you achieve that goal, then that sense of achievement tends to sort of be quite beneficial when it comes to sort of mental health symptoms. So again, there's a wide range of mechanisms, as you said, increased blood flow, uh, hormone changes in the brain that lead that release neurotransmitters that help to improve mood. And there's also those uh, other factors such as the social benefits that we get, particularly if we're exercising with a friend or in a group setting. Yeah, that's the great thing about resistance training is you've got to take breaks and Mm. so you can have a chat in the middle of those breaks. Yeah, but I always sort of find that in those rest periods, I'm always just scrolling through my phone, scrolling through social media, and then, you know, a 30-second rest turns into a three-minute rest. So it, I know, and somebody's it, filming you, they're going to yeah. shame you online. Yeah. They're always filming you. <laughs> you know, I always see those videos. I, I was so interested in the video because um, the, the Rogan video, because he, he read out your study and then he went on to say that he hazarded a guess that the reason many people are depressed is because they don't move. 
and then exercise. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so a lot of that is I think it's sort of a bit like the chicken and the egg. It's so are they not exercising because they are depressed or they're sort of depressed so that's making it difficult for them to exercise and so it's a difficult question to untangle and I think if we put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's experiencing severe depression so often people who do uh, experience depression they struggle to get out of bed in the morning doing their daily tasks tend to be quite difficult so even just walking to their mailbox checking their mail or cooking meals for themselves they sort of lack the energy and the motivation and those daily tasks tend to be extremely difficult for them to achieve. And so if they're struggling to get out of bed, then perhaps the last thing on their mind is going for a 30-minute run. So it's a difficult question to sort of untangle whether the depression is causing them to be inactive or whether they're inactive and that's causing the depression. But I think Mm. the important thing is that for people who are experiencing severe depression, that just starting off with small amounts of exercise, and it doesn't have to be at a high intensity, it can be just starting with making, uh, going to the mailbox, checking the mail every day. So maybe a sort of 30 second walk to the mailbox and back. And then gradually over time, just building on that. So trying to do a little bit more each week, maybe uh, increasing the duration, increasing the intensity, but definitely just doing a small amount and doing what you what's manageable for those individuals at that particular moment in time. So, again, it is a difficult question to answer. And I know for myself, particularly if um, I know there's periods where I am feeling stressed at work uh, and I've got a lot on, then they're the times when I, if I do manage to squeeze in maybe a 15 or a 20-minute workout that I do feel like I benefit a lot more. So just making that small investment of 15 minutes a day does sort of help the the rest of my day. So I just look at it as a small investment that if you can just find time to put aside each day to get a bit of exercise in, then you'll notice it for the rest of the day and you'll benefit in other aspects of your life, whether it's work or your social or your personal relationships or whatever else it might be. Yeah. Uh, so I guess part of your research had to be on because part of the, the the paper is that exercise is as or if not more effective than antidepressants. Am I correct in that? Yeah, it wasn't one of the main aims of the paper. So the main aim was to sort of look at uh, the evidence overall. But we did, we looked at the effects of exercise and um, on depression and anxiety, and we compared it to previous research, which has looked at the effects of medications. And when we Mm -hmm. compared the effects, we found that it, it was at least as effective, but in some cases, it was more effective than medications. And I think that's important because if you think about a lot of the medications, uh, often they, there's a lot of short-term and immediate side effects with taking a bunch of different medications. And often the long-term side effects of many of these medications are unknown. So we don't know the impact that they're having, the negative impact that they're having on people's long-term health by taking these medications. Whereas exercise, on the other hand, if you think about it, there's almost no uh, Uh, side effects associated with exercise. There's a small risk of injury. There's a bit of discomfort with doing the exercise. Uh, But in terms of side effects, there's no real side effects of the exercise itself. So I think that's why exercise is so potent and so powerful. And as we sort of spoke about at the start, that it can just involve going for a 20 or 30 minute walk around your neighborhood. You don't necessarily need uh, equipment. You don't need to buy a gym membership. Just getting out, uh, being more active. Uh, has shown to be quite, it's sort of 
a nice, achievable and accessible thing that almost everyone can do. Yeah. I, what is it that – you'll have to excuse me because I don't really know what SSRIs do. What do they do that exercise can do better exactly? I know that's probably not your field. <laughs> yeah. So, again, those medications, they – they do sort of have benefits when it comes to uh, mental health conditions. And I think an important point from our study is that uh, we don't want to be making the case that exercise should be replacing a lot of these medications because there are a lot of people worldwide who uh, medication does form an important component of their treatment and that they do benefit from taking these medications. So it's not a case of I'm going to stop my medications and start exercising. It's more about sort of individuals uh, speaking with their, G- their doctors and working out um, a plan to maybe try to integrate exercise as part of that treatment plan. But in terms of, uh, back to your question, so what exercise might do that a lot of these medications can't do. So with exercise, we actually, we get the physical benefits of exercise and the physiological benefits. So as we spoke about the uh, increased blood flow and all the other physiological benefits of exercise that we get. But as I spoke about earlier, exercise also has those additional benefits in terms of the social uh, and the psychosocial aspects. So uh, exercising with a friend um, can be quite enjoyable for a lot of people or exercising in a group setting. You get that social cohesion. Um, you're working with people who are, might have similar goals as yourself. So um, there are a lot of benefits that we sort of don't really get with the medications. Um, so I think that's an important component that we should uh, always try to emphasise when we're thinking about exercise, that it's not just the physiological benefits, it's that it's those social and those psychosocial benefits. So um, exercising with a friend or in a group, as I mentioned. Yeah. If people can take SSRIs with a friend, maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that can be our next uh, study. <laughs> <laughs> maybe joining a community of SSRI takers. Uh, that could be an idea for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I. let me ask you this. What's your peak goal with this particular paper? Is it to get it in the hands of therapists and doctors so that they can like encourage their clients and patients to be exercising more? Is that your goal? Yeah, definitely. So um, it's a good question um, and it's one of the key things that we really wanted to um, emphasize with this research is that, as I mentioned, it's not a case of exercising, exercise replacing medications, because again, mm-hmm. that's a conversation that patients need to be having with their doctors on a individual basis. But it's definitely, it's about sort of trying to include exercise in that conversation when coming up with treatment plans for uh, patients. So for certain patients, that might mean medications and fitting in 30 minutes of exercise a day. Uh, Or it might mean if someone's currently taking medications, um, if they can integrate exercise, then perhaps over time, it might mean that they're slowly able to reduce the dose of that medication. So it's trying to increase the awareness of the benefits, the mental health benefits of exercise, and trying to really advocate for exercise to be included in that conversation when doctors are talking about treatment options with their patients. So we don't want them to just all, to just resort to medications as the only type of treatment. Uh, we want everyone to be aware that uh, being active can help uh, not just treat and manage a lot of these conditions, but also uh, help prevent the onset. So for 
people who aren't experiencing mental health symptoms, just by being active, they can sort of prevent or reduce the onset of experiencing uh, a diagnosis of depression or anxiety later on in life. Yeah. I was wondering if you have a way or if you have any recommendations for people who may be feeling some mental health issues, uh, a, a recommendation of them, should they talk with their doctors? They should definitely talk with their doctors before getting off medication, but how should they bring up this like this study in particular and this work? Yeah, so when it comes to those individuals who might be experiencing symptoms, as you said, the most important thing is to uh, speak with a sort of healthcare professional to try to receive the appropriate treatment. But in terms of exercise, like we spoke about earlier, like anyone can just sort of walk out their front door and go for a quick walk to improve their symptoms. So uh, it doesn't necessarily require a doctor's prescription to exercise, just being active and trying to integrate a little bit of activity into your daily lives is a perfect place to begin. So trying to integrate a bit more walking throughout the day, trying to take the stairs wherever possible instead of taking the lift. And Mm -hmm. also when you are sort of, if they are having consultations or appointments with their doctors, then definitely trying to bring that up to say, um, what are some ways I can integrate some exercise into their lives? And that might result in them uh, being referred to an exercise specialist or an exercise physiologist where they can receive an individualised um, exercise prescription and they can receive that support from an exercise professional to safely start an exercise program, uh, work at the appropriate intensities uh, and find the exercises that work best for uh, fitting into that individual's life. So it's a combination of sort of trying to take matters into your own hands and trying to be a bit more active throughout the day, but also wanting to receive that structured support from uh, an exercise professional. Yeah, love that. Love that. So where did you see the improvements where where exercise was more effective than medication? In what, like, if you don't mind me asking, in what, in what conditions? Any conditions. So we found that we, there was a wide range of individuals so that were included in the study. So they included uh, healthy adults without a diagnosis. There were a lot of studies with uh, individuals with cancer and breast cancer and also individuals who with a diagnosis of HIV and kidney disease. We found exercise mm-hmm. was extremely beneficial for improving mental health symptoms in people with those conditions. And I guess if we think about it, so people who might have just been diagnosed with breast cancer or HIV or kidney disease, often it's a quite a difficult time emotionally. So it might result in them experiencing uh, increases in depression or increases in anxiety, just being diagnosed with that condition and having to go through all the treatment. So we think that because they're going through a difficult time, that they do have quite high baseline levels of depression or anxiety. And because they have sort of high baseline levels, that means that there's basically greater capacity for them to improve. So there's a lot of um, space for them to improve those high symptoms. So uh, again, an exercise was shown to be a potent tool for helping improve uh, symptoms of depression and anxiety for individuals who were going through those quite difficult diagnoses. And um, so again, in individuals who might be in that position. Again, it's about speaking with your healthcare professional to be maybe referred to an exercise physiologist who can provide a tailored exercise program that might fit in with their uh, treatment for their cancer or their treatment for their kidney disease. Yeah. Wow. Super interesting. I mean, uh, 
I know you didn't necessarily want to go into this, but I'd, I'd love to hear what particular types of exercise you mentioned that resistance training was better for people with depression and yoga and Pilates better for people with anxiety. Any other recommendations for really how we can exercise at best? I know minimum half an hour doesn't matter what it is, but there are, are there certain types of exercises that you really found to be beneficial for everyone? Uh, so basically everything, there was a wide range of exercises. We found cycling was quite common as well. So just hopping on a bike, mm-hmm. uh, as you said, that's what you do. It's uh, quite popular at the moment. Um, a lot of the studies, however, we found involved indoor cycling on a sort of a cyclogometer or a spin bike. But yeah. And there's less evidence on actual sort of outdoor cycling on the road. So uh, that could be an important Too dangerous. Area. Yeah, perhaps. Or Let's not encourage that, mate. Yeah. Let's not encourage that. Um, They're annoying. So, yeah. So, I know I'm in Adelaide and there's a lot of cyclists here, particularly on the weekend. But um, oh there's God. less research around that. Um, and walking, again, that was the most common uh, and lifting weights, as I said. So all the common exercises um, – were shown to be quite beneficial. But I think what was mm-hmm. quite interesting is looking at the sort of the mind-body exercises. So there's a lot of recent evidence looking at yoga and Pilates, and they tend to be extremely beneficial So uh, for the mental health side of things. And we know they're, they're quite popular modes of exercise. So there's a lot of yoga classes. There's a lot of Pilates classes, um, particularly here in Australia, and I imagine the same uh, where you are. And there's a lot of emerging evidence to show that how beneficial and how important these exercises are. And often it's perhaps likely that it's not just one exercise, that maybe there's a need for fitting in a range of different exercises for individuals. So instead of just focusing on lifting weights, for example, it might mean lifting in weights three times a week or twice a week, Mm -hmm. aerobic exercise such as walking or cycling a few times a week, and then yoga. So again, um, I think the optimal approach, um, we weren't able to directly assess this in the study, but I think the optimal approach is fitting in those various types of exercise throughout the week. So then you're experiencing a wide range of different benefits from those unique exercises. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. What about, I was told by a psychiatrist uh, last year, he's a really amazing guy, his name's Dr. Armin, Dr. Daniel Armin, he's quite famous, and he was telling me that he was recommending to me sports with a paddle and a ball tennis, pickleball, table tennis, particularly great for the brain. Have you ever heard of anything like that? I haven't heard of that research, but it definitely makes sense. And there were a lot of studies that we looked at that did involve uh, team-based sports, and they tend Mm. to be quite beneficial as well. So I guess anytime when you're in a competitive environment, you're active with a team of other people who uh, have the same goals as you, you get that shared sense of um, sort of community and that shared sense of accomplishment when working as part of a team. So, again, it, I think it comes back to the individual. If they're currently playing a team sport or they're whether it's basketball or playing some footy or whatever it might be on the weekends, then that we mm-hmm. know tends to be quite beneficial for mental health. And often it's a way to get your mind off the actual exercise if you're focusing on the actual goals of the sport itself, whether it's, um, like you said, tennis, uh, you're trying to sort of uh, score points against your opponent, that can take your mind off the fact that you're participating in high-intensity exercise and can make it more beneficial for a lot of individuals. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, mate, I I took a a scroll through your uh, Twitter, through your Twitter, and um, came across a video of you. And, and like, you can't tell in this portrait shot, but you're a buff buff guy. 
Yeah, I've sort of been lifting for, I think that's the first time I've ever posted a video on uh, of myself Don't exercising. Don't be scared. We need yeah. scientist thirst traps. Okay. Yeah, so I've been lifting <laughs> weights for about 15 years now and it's just become a, a important part of my day. So I try to sort of yeah. structure my day to make sure that I can fit in my workouts uh, sort of around five to six times a week. So yep. I think for me, I like training in the evenings. I like getting all my work and my responsibilities finished for the day and then sort of finishing off my day in the gym at night. Um, but, yeah, so I've been training for sort of uh, 15 years and that was the first time I've ever posted a video of me exercising. And I think for me personally, it's always just been for the just the enjoyment and the mental side of things. I just sort of I've been doing it for so long that if I don't sort of fit it in, then that's when I sort of experience maybe a bit of um, not stress or anxiety, but I know oh, I missed my workout. I sort of yes. need to make up for it the next day uh, as well. Yes. But yeah. Going back to my Twitter, that's sort of a mix of, I sort of tweet a lot of a mix of professional and unprofessional things. So there's a real mix of what you'll find if you scroll through my Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I look, if you've ever looked through my Instagram, we can't call what you post ever unprofessional. <laughs> I didn't see, I didn't see one unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> unprofessional thing it was all very it was all very tame I'm, I'm a bit i'm a bit loose on there mate but um no it's good to it's good to have us you know what it is it's good to have a scientist who's actually living mm. the, the things that they're talking about because that's an important part of it too that you're always like okay well this scientist wrote this paper do they act it do they live it yeah and i think it's similar to that uh common example where if there's a doctor who's got a cigarette in their hand and they're telling you to quit smoking then often it's difficult mm-hmm. to follow that advice Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think particularly in the exercise community there and research community, there are a lot of researchers who are quite active themselves. And um, there's a whole mix of different exercises that a lot of researchers that I know are involved with. And often mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be a structured regime where they go into the gym three times a week. It can be sort of just fitting in exercise into their daily life. So I've got a lot of colleagues who just walk to work and it's sort of a 30 or a 40 minute walk. And even just fitting that in is sort of a perfect way to, you're commuting, you're getting to work, but you're getting in a bit of exercise at the same time. So it doesn't always necessarily need to be that structured exercise program, uh, just whether it's a sport or any way you can sort of fit in a bit of physical activity into your life is always uh, a good way to go. Yeah. Mate, I love it. So tell me just a little bit about what else you're doing right now. Like what else have you been looking into and studying? Anything you're excited about? Our paper that we've recently submitted is we've looked at the effects of various types of chatbots and how they can help people become physically active. So we know there's all that chatter, there's all that talk around chat GPT at the moment on how that's helping people sort of achieve a lot of their writing tasks. But what we were sort of interested in is whether those automated chatbots um, where you sort of sort of maybe write a message such as um, what kind of exercise can I do today or that provide you with uh, weekly or daily reminders to keep active, whether they can help people uh, improve their physical activity or improve their diet. And we found that they are they tend to be quite beneficial when it comes to helping improve people's lifestyle. So I think that's an, an exciting area for future research particularly now that we're seeing all these websites and these apps that are just using AI to achieve things in seconds that used to take us hours or days to do. So I think it's an yeah. exciting area and it's it's almost the possibilities are endless to think of what AI and what technology 
can be useful when it comes to helping improve people's physical activity and their diet. Yeah, because like, would would you just have J- Chat GPT or uh, any AI message the person going, "Have you moved today?" Or like, it could be like, "Let me write you a program," because I bet Chat GPT could write you a great program. <laughs> yeah, or if you're maybe experiencing an injury or you can't get your full workout in today, it can help you sort of revise that program or come up with suggestions on alternate forms of exercise and send you those motivational messages to keep active each day. So if there's a particular day where you haven't got your workout in and it sends you a reminder to keep active or a bit of a motivational message, then again, there's potential there for it to be used. So I think it's going back to the case that the possibilities are endless and it's quite an exciting time. I think the next sort of six to 12 months will be quite interesting to see how this space develops. You could link it to a person's wearable, like a Whoop or Mm. an Apple Watch, and so that it knows. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe people don't want to be invaded like this, but it knows whether you've moved or not. And Mm. and when you have moved, it can tell you how you did move. It can tell you a little bit more than maybe the wearable could. Just, I think it's it's almost, I think, difficult to even comprehend what it could involve in the future. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely an exciting space and it's moving so quick, it's hard to keep up with. Yeah, I mean, something I hadn't even considered that it could help people with their fitness goals. And I, I even heard Elon recently say that he wants to shut it down because it's moving so fast. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the bad parts of it, not yeah, the yeah. chat G, G, chat GPT is very cute, but there's some yeah. bad parts of it that are really okay. moving a bit too quickly. Um, Dr. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Would you just let us know how we can follow you and keep in touch with you if we felt like it? Yeah, so the best place is probably Twitter. So I'm at... Ben Singh PhD, so that's no spaces. Uh, so, yeah, I sort of post a mix of some of the research I'm involved with and just some other random tweets. But, yeah, I think after scrolling through your Instagram, I think I have to pick my game up when it comes to social media. <laughs> the unprofessional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you definitely do. Yeah. No, and I, I encourage you. Is that the only place we can follow you, by the way? Yeah, so probably the best, the place where I'm sort of the most active. Um, there's also email as well, but I think as a first point, Twitter's just a message on Twitter is a perfect place to start. Yeah, great. I mean, I do want to encourage you because you're, you know, just talking to you now, I'm like, wow, this guy's full of knowledge and people love to listen to people who know what they're talking about, who actually know what they're talking about, who've done the actual research. So if you ever feel like coming over to the medium of videos like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, we're ready to hear what you have to say. It's not very hard. You just put the phone up to your face, talk about what you know about, make it a minute clip or less, post it up with some captions, and you know, you'll be surprised at how much interest you can gain. Yeah, no, that's definitely great advice. I think, yeah. So I've sort of had a look through what you've been doing and I'm sort of become a fan already. So uh, any yeah. advice I can take from you, I definitely appreciate. No, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you got to get your information out there. I mean, you know it and you don't want to sit it like yeah. scientists' hands. They'll ruin it. You got to put it yeah. in the people's hands. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it is an important component, just being able to communicate your research and getting it out to as many people as possible. Yeah, love it. Dr. Ben Singh, thanks so much for joining us on the Zaddy Zone. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Zaddy Zone, I encourage you to subscribe and rate our podcast five stars. And if you feel so generous, please write a review. Say how much you loved it. Um, I only want to provide value to you, and I hope you're feeling some value by listening to it. We're not asking for any money. Just a nice old rate, review, subscribe. XOXO. Zaddy.